Hello, and welcome to not another episode of Thoughts to and from Boston. I'm your host, Arjuna Gonzalez, and it turns out there's going to be a pretty serious snowstorm on Thursday, which would be the day that I would be coming back from Boston after going down to the Boston Unity Group. And I'm going to be totally honest with you folks. I'm kind of nervous about the coronavirus outbreak. I know that as of this recording, there's only been one confirmed case, but from what I understand, it has a pretty long incubation period or we don't really know a whole lot about its incubation period. And uh, I'd rather wait a month until we've got a better idea about how to handle this thing than roll the dice and head down there. So I decided to skip it this time, but I still want to record a podcast. So here I am sitting in the room where I usually record my podcast content with the Unity editor open with Peace Island, the cat game I've been working on and Substance Painter, which is a 3D texturing tool that I use an awful lot. So this is going to be kind of a dev cast, I guess you could call it, where I do some game development and record a podcast while I'm doing it. Kind of like my side project that is currently on the back burner, Thoughts from the Level Editor. Only this is this is going to be interactive, but it's the game that I'm making that's going to be interactive, not the podcast itself. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> um, okay, let's get started. If you've been following the devlogs that I've been posting to the Peace Island website, you know that what I've been working on lately for the game... Oh, and Peace Island. It is an open-world adventure game where you control a group of nine different cats who live on a remote island off the coast of Maine where all of the humans have mysteriously disappeared and you get to figure out the mystery of why they disappeared. And at the end, you get to make a super important decision of whether the humans are worth bringing back. And you can check it out on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash peaceisland if you contribute at least $1 a month. You get to download the latest alpha build of the game, and you can check out our website, peaceislandgame.com, where I've been regularly posting uh, devlog entries of the work I've been doing on it. And man, I, yeah, I don't know how I find the time either to do this between, you know, working on Peace Island, being Evan and holding down his engineering job, and Troy, and also being Bill. It, it is very time-consuming, I'll admit. So let's get to development. Now, if you've been looking at those devlog entries that I've posted on the website, you know that there's kind of a running theme on there, which is that Eric Blumrich, my boss, bought some sort of 3D model off the Unity Assets store early on in the game's development because he needed something that looked like what he was going for and so that he could just place it in the environment and move on to the rest of the project. Now, that's fine when you're prototyping. But for the beta release of this game, what I've been doing is going through a lot of the different assets and uh, maybe doing a little bit of modeling work, but certainly giving them a new set of textures because they often have some sort of texturing scheme that is either kind of old and out of date or it's a little weird and I can do something better if I just give it the modern PBR treatment. And no, PBR is not Pabst Blue Ribbon. It stands for Physically Based Rendering, and it's the modern industry standard approach for how you texture 3D models. Um, it's set up in a way that it's supposed to mimic how light actually reflects off 
surfaces made of different types of things. So it takes into account the fact that light reflects differently off of metals as opposed to, say, wood planks. And the standard tool set for that is made by a company called Allegorhythmic, which was recently bought out by Adobe, and it's, it's called the Substance Toolset. There's like three different programs in it. One is Substance Alchemist, which you can use to create your own materials, usually from a photo. Uh, one is Substance Designer, which has this uh, node-based system, which is kind of like just wiring little bits of logic together. And it may sound tedious, but once you get the hang of it, it's actually pretty cool and pretty powerful, a pretty powerful way to create your own textures. And then, of course, there's Substance Painter, which is for texturing objects with textures you've created or somebody else has created. And again, once you get the hang of it, it feels a lot like creating 2D graphics in Photoshop or GIMP. So what I'm looking at now is this dock uh, on the short line of Peace Island. And I'm going to have a link to an Imgur album or something where I've got screenshots from the editor so you can follow along a little bit. And as you can see, the wood planks on this dock are a little blurry, and I've adjusted a few things in the editor to make it uh, a lot less... Well, I mean, the setting is called shininess. I've changed it to make it a lot less shiny. Uh, why don't I take an extra screenshot so you can get a look at what I'm talking about? And I'm going to take it right now and save it in the folder I have here. So as you can see, uh, there's some very weird stuff going on with this. And part of the problem is it doesn't use the physically based rendering uh, settings that ship with the Unity engine, which is what we're using for Peace Island. So I've created some new textures for it, and there's one little nuance that I want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, let me just adjust the lighting a little bit here. Okay. Make sure I take a screenshot of that, too. Okay. Nearly all of the environment artwork that I do, and this has been the case for a very long time, I use reference whether it's Pinterest or Google Image Search, or sometimes I even actually go outside with my phone camera and take some pictures if I need to, uh, I always work from reference. And YouTube has been extremely helpful here because I can just go to the search engine and type Peaks Island, Maine. And fortunately, Peaks Island, which is what Peace Island uh, takes a lot of inspiration from, is one of the most, like, filmed and documented locations in the state of Maine. Maybe, yeah, probably only short of the city of Portland itself, which Peaks Island is a part of the municipality. It's only like four miles off the coast, I think. And when you look at footage of the docks, and fortunately there's a lot of footage of it because people tend to really like to film the approach to the main dock that all of the ferries uh, unload from. These docks are not just plain wood all the way down and you wouldn't really expect it. Uh, depending on where the tide is, there's a little section towards the bottom where the wood is starting to rot or erode or what have you. Hey, Editor Arjuna here. I just got some feedback that what's going on at the bottom of the dock is really saturation from water and not rot. And the reason I say rot is because the material that got me the look I want is called rotten wood. So before anybody comments, yes, I know the difference. 
It's just the material name. And now back to the show. And then farther up from it, there's places where the tide has gone down a little bit and the wood is definitely dried, but there's a lot of salt that's just sort of dried and kind of is stuck on top of it. And it's almost like somebody's gone in with a paintbrush and painted it white, but it's sort of worn off a little bit. So in creating these docks, what I've done is look at the support posts and really draw on uh, a rotten wood texture and then draw on sort of a rough white paint texture above that to simulate it. Now, it's a little bit tricky because I really have to be careful about where the rot begins and ends and where the salt begins and ends, or else I, I think some people will either notice or just not notice it, but it'll pop up in the back of their heads the way a lot of us sort of unconsciously notice things when we're playing video games. My approach to this, which is hampered a little bit by the fact that we've had some trouble getting the substance uh, integration that works with the Unity engine to work, is I import the 3D model for the piece of the pier that I'm trying to retexture. And then I place it next to another piece that I've already retextured. And so I see where the top and bottom of the salt layer and the top and bottom of the rot layer are. And then for this newly imported piece, what I do is I export from Substance Painter. Did I close down Substance Painter? No, I didn't. I export from Substance Painter a new set of textures that don't have the rot and the salt on them. And then I set them up in Unity on this new piece. And then what I do is I stare. I stare at the parts of the support post that roughly line up with the border areas on the rot, like where the rot turns into the salt, and where the salt turns into the regular wood. And I try to notice patterns on it that match up with the posts on the model. And yes, that is as tedious as it sounds, but it's the best and quickest way I can figure out um, to do it. And then I start drawing the texture that I'm going for based on the specific pattern that matches up. I hope that makes sense, but I think I can probably take some screenshots that will help explain that. Okay, so the first thing I do is I export uh, the plain wooden texture. Now, the way I have this set up is in my Substance Painter file, there's a button in here called random. And what that'll do is just completely regenerate the pattern of like the wood grain and the different grooves on it and like the different sort of sand splotches that I have set up here. And I like to just hit the random button sometimes when I'm making a new pure object because I don't, or at least in cases where I've got um, the same model, but I'm putting a new texture down on it just so I add a little bit more variety. I can't, like, go bonkers with every piece of the pier. Uh, let me just back up for a second. This pier is really made up of, like, a couple of different pier... This dock is made up of a couple of different pieces that are numbered, like, pier 1, pier 2, pier 3, pier 4. And the difference between them is, like, one of them is just... A couple of boards just going straight across and like two side rails on it and then there's one piece where like the steps or the floorboards go up so there's steps and then there's one where uh say there's only one side rail so it's like there are three different places you can enter and leave it 
or there's like two side rails on it and they form a corner. So Eric set up these pier pieces in like a very specific pattern that I am just recreating because that's what he was going for. But he's reusing a few pieces in different places. And so that's why I clicked the random button in uh, Substance Painter where I'm reusing a specific piece but putting another texture on it so that I can introduce a little variety in the wood grain so you, like, you don't... You don't necessarily see the same patterns repeating over and over and over. Like, I could go bonkers, and for every one of the, like, Pier 2 pieces, where there's, like, two side rails to the side and you can walk back and forth across it, I could go bonkers and create a new wood grain uh, random generation for every single one of those. And it would be, like, GTA V, which I'm still downloading on Steam because it's 80 goddamn gigabytes compressed. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that level of realism. Leave a comment, though, if you do. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have to work within constraints that are still very real in 2020. And so I'm just going to click random, click random here. And the way I have this set up, I need to do it a couple of extra times for the 3D graphics people. It's because I have the mesh, I have the mesh's UV mapping divided up into four different materials. If you didn't understand that, don't worry about it. It's not that important. And this tends to weigh down on my CPU a little bit. So I hope the recording is still going through okay. So while that's going, why don't I answer one of your questions? And I've got a new message in our Discord where I know I got some questions to answer. Okay, so there's nothing new. Uh, from Tyler. Talk about the Game Jam. People want to know about the Game Jam. Yes, listeners. Remember Probably Jam from last year? We are doing it again this year. Probably Jam is a game jam organized by the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Uh, it's going to be on itch.io as before. We have not agreed on themes quite yet, but uh, let's see. I'm recording on February 26th, so around March 1st-ish. Uh, I'm going to work with Tyler and the others, and we're going to come up with a format probably very much like uh, what we had last year. Uh, I'm very excited for this. We had a lot of good entries for last year's Probably Jam, including Midnight Grub Session, made by the Party Roll guys, um, <laughs> which, oh my god, it's like the best Metal Gear Solid-esque game that I've ever seen. Well, I mean, Mary Gear Solid is pretty good, but <laughs> anytime that, I, I mean, Mary Gear Solid does not make clapping butt cheeks into a game mechanic. <laughs> Uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and I'm 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 so excited to see what you guys are going to make this year. Uh, so I think substance is probably done with the random generation here. Okay, just needs to do one more thing, and then I can export. Okay, cool. Um, so let's talk about what I'm exporting from this model in order to set up a texture because this is what a lot of this is what goes into a texture in a modern 3d model for a video game i am going to export let me just yeah 
first I need to create a file. Uh, let's see, docs out, and then that's going to be, is this thing, what is the model number on this thing? You know, which um, peer mesh number am I dealing with? It is, okay, it's peer five. So that's going to be peer five upper, meaning uh, these are the textures I'm creating for peer model number five. And it's on the upper level of the dock because there's like two levels to the dock and there's like there's like some stairs going down to one part of it. Okay, so I'm gonna export to that. Excuse me. Alright. <coughs> yeah. There's four different files that I'm exporting from this tool. Uh, and they all go, well, yeah, really five, but I'm going to delete one of them after I export them because I can't really get them to play well with Unity. So let's pretend there's five files that I'm going to export from Substance Painter and import into Unity. One is called Albedo Transparency, which is really the color of the texture. The second is called Metallic Smoothness, which is kind of what you might imagine it to be. It's like a black and white map and... Yeah, the black means it's like really shiny and kind of like a metal, and the sm and the white means it's like extremely rough, kind of like wood. Um, I may have that backwards in my head. Uh, I can't be 100% sure without looking at it, but I think that I got that right. Uh, the height map is a black and white graphic that has data on like how extruded from the surface of the geometry parts of the material are. So if there are like parts that are white or like bright gray, they'll really stick out. That's for things like, oh, I don't know, grading or like dirt with a bunch of rocks sticking out from it. It helps make those things stick out. I'm not going to use the height map for the specific asset that I'm retexturing because I just can't get it to play right with the Unity engine. I haven't quite figured out why. I think it's sort of a bug in uh, the way Unity draws graphics. There's like a form on the Substance forum about it. I just have not had the time to look into it. And then there's a normal map, which is kind of like the height map, but it's standard practice to like confine to the normal map a lot of the sort of small little details of the bumpiness, and which is really like you know, stuff extruding out from the surface, but it's like really small scale stuff. You use it to get the sort of small details. Um, if you noticed around like, I guess in PC games, it would have been the mid 2000s, but in console games, it would have been like 2007 or eight ish. You might remember the 3D graphics got really good at, or at least got significantly better in showing off bumpy surfaces. That was normal maps. Um, and then AO, which is ambient occlusion, which is a map that where the darker it is, the material is made sort of, not quite arbitrarily darker, but is made a little darker. And that's to help with the real life phenomenon where like, you know, areas and little crevices and cracks and stuff appear darker because it's kind of hard for the light to get in there and reflect back out at your eye. You know, all of these maps, when you combine them together with a shader, which is uh, provided by your game engine or your 3D renderer or whatever, you put this data together with the code, it creates an effect that's meant to mimic 
how light actually reflects off of real life surfaces. And of course you can play around with shaders to get effects that are nothing like anything in the real world, but that's outside the scope of this podcast. And I'm getting some beeps from Facebook Messenger, so I'll be right back after this promo. Good evening, 003. The following is for your ears only and is classified above top secret by Her Majesty's Secret Service. Less than 24 hours ago, our contact with the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network intercepted an encrypted audio message sent over social media regarding the upcoming season of Podcasters Assemble, a hype rewatch podcast covering the James Bond films leading up to Bond 25. According to our intel, Season 1 covered the Marvel Cinematic Universe, while Season 2 focused on the Star Wars Skywalker saga. For this season, the Podcast Network is looking to recruit field operatives from around the world to reminisce about the Daniel Craig Bond movies, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, and Spectre, in a countdown to the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Your primary objective is to infiltrate Podcasters Assemble by recording and uploading your submissions at probablywork.com. Utilizing a two-way communications device with a built-in microphone, the latest from QBranch. In addition, MI6 believes that the first episode is going to be an overview of the series as a whole, showcasing everyone's favorite and least favorite Bond movies, Bond actors, Bond villains, secret layers, cold opens, vehicles, and gadgets from the franchise's history, and more importantly, your background with these films. For a full mission report, go to probablywork.com. The first episode is scheduled for release on March 6th. We're all counting on you, 003. This is the promo slot. Okay, yeah, that was just Eric showing off some art for the game in Photoshop. Now, where the crap was I? Oh, yeah, I was explaining the textures that I uh, was exporting. So let me make sure I've got this going out to the right folder. And that I'm using the right preset. Yup. Okay, cool. And I'm exporting at the right resolution. Okay. So while that's going, let's answer another question. Another question from Tyler. Also, how many pictures of the fawns have you hidden in Peace Island so far? Well, you know, I think the more important matter, the fawns related, as well as Peace Island related, Tyler, is we've had some discussions, definitely not far along for me or anybody else on the team to commit anything, but we've had some discussions about making this game moddable. And I would like somebody someday to create a custom mission for Peace Island. Like, you can create, you know, custom missions for the GTA games, uh, or at least the the first, like, the GTA 3 Vice City San Andreas uh, family, where, well, first, of course, you need to be able to mod a leather jacket and t-shirt onto one of the cats. That goes without saying. But there should be a custom mission where you have to take one of the cats um, jet skiing, and they have to... Wait, jet skiing? Yeah, why not jet skiing? And they have to jump over a shark off the coast. There are no sharks in Peace Island or even real life Peace Island. Don't worry about that. But somebody needs to make a custom mission for that. 
if we include modding into this game. Tweet at us saying you will do that, and that will probably encourage us to uh, put in the effort to make it moddable. Um, it's, it's certainly more complicated to make a game moddable in Unity than it is for other engines, but I know it's been done before. So, um, again, I can't speak for the rest of the team. We can't commit to anything right now in that department, but it's certainly something some of us want to see happen. Uh, am I done exporting yet? I'm done exporting. Yay! And now comes the semi-boring part, where I set up a folder and I import the textures. Uh, how do I open up the folder so I'm not... Oh, oh. No, it wouldn't be Pier 2. It would be Pier 5, yeah. So delete the height maps because I'm not using them. Make sure these are the right resolution. I'll double check so I don't goof that up. Okay. Um, now create the folder in the editor for it. Five upper. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's opening. Well, that's importing. I'm going to talk a little bit about organizing my stuff. There's a website called thenomenworkshop.com that I like to use a lot because they have these extremely good 3D art uh, tutorials, even plenty of 2D stuff as well done by professionals in like the film and games industries and such and one of them uh is by an environment artist at naughty dog i think he's working somewhere else but he had a class on creating an environment in like a modern tool set and importing it into unreal and setting it up and he had a directory structure for when you're creating models and textures and such that i found extremely helpful and i still use today so, I'm looking at my file explorer here, and I have like a dedicated folder for environment art, and then I have them broken up into folders for each object that I'm retexturing. So I've got a folder for the docks, I've got a folder for the church that I recently retextured, I've got a folder for all of my new wooden siding textures, a folder for all of my new vinyl siding textures, a folder for the retextured toilet garden, uh, and inside that folder, I've got at least three folders, sometimes four. I've got work, which is where I hold my project files. So there's things like my .spp files, like my Substance Painter files, uh, which, again, in like the GIMP world, that's like a .xcf, or if you're in Photoshop, I think it's .psd. I don't use Photoshop a whole lot. Uh, so that's the work folder. And then there's the source folder, where I put all my reference images. And then there's out folder, where I put the exported assets, like the stuff that I'm, like the stuff that I'm going to import into Unity or Unreal or whatever. Sometimes there's a fourth folder uh, that I call test render, where, like, if I want to send a render of the retexturing to Eric to get some feedback from him, uh, that's where I'll put the render. So I exported all of those new textures that I created to the out folder, and now I've imported them into Unity. And Unity's default texture size is 2K, but these textures are 4K, so I have to change that. And then it doesn't automatically recognize normal maps as normal maps. So once it's done applying this change, and those of you 3D graphics types might raise your eyebrow at the idea of, like, excuse my smartphone, 
those of you 3D graphics types listening to this might raise your eyebrow at me dropping a 4K texture on this. Yes, but because of some technology that we have going on here, it does a lot of optimization. And really, we're just going to continue iterating on it um, to get the frame rate we want. Um, I think, yeah, there's some sort of programming statement about premature optimization. And I, in my somewhat new to this opinion, I believe it still holds for environment art. So I'm going to change the setting for the normal maps. Again, once Unity does some more thinking about it. Okay, cool. So select all the normal maps. Change texture type. Change texture type. Change my texture type from default to normal map. And I'm going to click apply. Oh, I'm Bobby's Bobby from Bobby's World. I'm going to click apply, don't you know? It's funny how that voice switched from Bobby's World's from the mom from Bobby's World to Sarah Palin. And now that's the only person that you can use that voice for. Anyway, so now that the textures for that are set up, I need to set up the material. And Unity sometimes freezes up a little bit. I think either because I have like large parts of the island loaded into the scene, so it has to think about loading a lot of this geometry, or because it needs to go talk to our source control server just to see if there are any new copies of the code that it needs to know about. So let me just move it over here to the pier that has the salt and the rot and change folders. Yep. So create the pier five upper folder. And I'm going to set up the materials on this new dock piece to use the textures that I just exported. First, I have to create the material assets first. So, let's see, floorboards and side rails. I have some, yeah, I have very ad hoc names for these materials that floorboards and side rails may make sense, but I also have X's and legs. They, they just, they made sense sitting in Substance Painter one day. All right, so let's set up the floorboards material. And when I talk about setting up a material, what that means is I have to take each of those maps that I told you about that I exported from Substance Painter and drag them into specific slots on an asset called a material so that the shader like knows about those textures and can figure out how to draw them correctly. And yeah, it's you drag the albedo transparency texture into the albedo transparency map and then AO into occlusion and then metallic smoothness into metallic smoothness and you dial this back because it comes in really shiny for some reason uh and then drag the normal map into the normal slot and you think about the intensity that you want to assign to the normal map because sometimes cranking it up from one to something like 1.5 has been good so i'm gonna put it in at 1.25 for now see what i think of that and then it's lather rinse repeat uh there's just one catch i realized i set up that material for the pure 5 lower i set up that material with the pure 5 lower textures instead of the pure 5 upper textures so it's like 
for the pure piece that's on the lower level of the dock when really I want to set up the material for the pure piece that's on the upper level of the dock. It's okay, I can just switch back to the appropriate folder and reset the stuff. It's the kind of mistake you do when you're recording a podcast and making a video game at the same time. Alright, cool. Now granted, I've goofed this up a couple of times, even though I don't have the excuse that I was recording something, so... You know how it is when you're working a very detail-oriented job. Now the side rails... Talks with this... Normal... And like I said, I think I want to crank up that normal map intensity just a little bit more than what I get fresh imported into the editor. Okay. Now the X's. Okay, cool. Alright, and now here's the kind of fun part where I get to just replace the material settings. And I get to see the final texture take shape, like, one piece at a time. It's kind of cool. Or depressing, because that, then I realize I goofed something up. <laughs> but fortunately, it's coming through okay. Let's see. Uh, yeah, that's the X's slot. That looks good. And then finally, the legs. Sweet! Okay, so now I'm gonna just move this pure piece just into the right position which means just you know moving it over a little bit rotating it a little bit until it just sort of nicely fits in with the others kind of like a lego piece okay um move it down a little bit it's kind of like you know putting a picture up on the wall you kind of want to finagle it a little bit so you get it into just the right spot. Also, I'm noticing that my side rails are kind of shiny. Definitely more reflective than you would want wood to be. Yep, and that's because the metallic smoothness map is turned way up. Give it one quick fly around just to see. Excuse me, just to see if I've goofed anything up. And you need. Okay, here we go. Yep. Yup. Alright, before I get to that, let's answer another question. This one's from Evan. For Drunak or Juju. <laughs> I think he meant to say Drunk Juna Belchzalis, who will not be appearing <laughs> on this episode. Eric is a good boss, but I don't think he would approve of me drinking while retexturing. <laughs> But anyway, so the first question is, how have you been holding up? I miss you, man. I am good, Evan. I have been flat out with Peace Island work for the past couple of months. Like, uh, I was pretty busy when I was, you know, you know, editing and uploading the last thoughts to and from Boston episode. But yeah, I Peace Island really does take up most of my day, Monday through Friday these days. And I do not have... Uh, a whole lot of time for podcasting compared to when I did this time last year. Uh, also, it is the depths of winter. Well, no, no, no. It's, we're slowly getting out of the depths of winter where I am. 
So I have not, unfortunately, had the opportunity to, to do organic farming stuff. But the snow is melting. Uh, we had our first, like, 40-plus degrees Fahrenheit day recently. Uh, it was nice to see melted snow on the ground for the first time in a long time. So hopefully soon I'll be out making compost and Handsome Harry will be scratching around in it to show where I haven't watered it down well enough. There's another question here that sort of assumed I would be at a hotel, understandably, because I didn't cancel until I realized the forecast wasn't looking good. How much of the clothes that you bring can you fit in the microwave? I will say, just sort of guessing based on what I remember of the hotel and the hotel that I usually stay at, I could probably fit, like, a pair of jeans and a t-shirt, maybe, like, two shirts or, like, two and a half t-shirts, if I were really determined, or if it was a small enough t-shirt, into that thing. Obviously, this is something I'm going to have to look at when I really do record Fox 2 and From Boston 5, but... For now, we're just going to have to go with that estimate. How many shoes can you fit in the sink? Oh, act, yeah, that's a good point. I have a correction from the previous episode. I will be right back. Okay, I can't remember if it was Tyler or Evan who asked what my shoe size was, but I recently got a new pair of boots because the pair I was using was pretty worn out. So yeah, I'm a size 9. Uh... That's a good question. How many shoes could I fit in the sink? You'll just have to find out on the next Fox to and from Boston. Although I usually only bring one pair of shoes when traveling, so I'm just going to have to give you a guesstimate. Or maybe, like, take a picture of the sink, and you can guess on Twitter. Uh, let's see. I think I'm going to skip the other hotel-specific questions. Uh, and then come back to the non- to the next non-hotel-specific one after, uh, some more devlog stuff. Um, okay. So now comes the rather tricky part, where I stare at the wood grain to figure out where the rot ends and the salt begins. So, like, where the rotten wood area ends, and then it starts to get to the part that really isn't underwater all that often, so there's a lot of dried salt built up on it. And so, usually what helps is if I can just adjust the sunlight angle here. But that doesn't seem to be doing much for me, so... Okay, there's this one light, almost sandy patch on the support beam. That probably lines up somewhere, but that I can probably find when I look at the model in Substance Painter. It's usually down towards the bottom. And I'll often just like alt tab back and forth between the edit between Unity and Substance Painter to figure out what I'm looking for. Okay, so there's that big splotch of the stuff down towards the bottom. I see that. And then there's this part where it goes, yep, light, dark, light. That's still in the rod area. Okay, and then there's this little circular patch farther up the board. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, that looks like it. A little up from that is where we get the transition into the salt. Okay, see that spot there? Okay, so I think... 
from looking at that, I figured out where the raw area begins. Or rather, where the raw area ends and the salt area starts. Once I make sure that my rotten wood texture settings are where I want them. Yeah, there's like some presets on this rotten wood material that I can choose just out of a drop down. And I like wood orange. Just turn the rotten area amount up. And so what I can do is like now that I know where the transition area between the rot and the salt is, I can just paint on the rot from there down to the bottom of the pier. I'm going to turn down the resolution to 2K temporarily because it lags a lot if I do this. And when I say painting a material on, um, some of you who have done stuff in GIMP and Photoshop might have experience with masks where you can like uh, create a new layer and say, all right, the black area doesn't show up, but the white area does or vice versa. And you can sort of paint in parts of one picture on top of another. That's really what's going on here. Like I have a collection of layers for my weathered wood material, and then I've got my rotten wood material on top of that, but I've got a black mask on it. So I can just paint it on as I need. So let me just, okay, yep, make sure about where I'm painting on. And then turn down the size of my brush a little bit and just do a quick line across. Okay, why is this not painting on? Oh, yeah, it's because I have the grayscale value on the brush set to zero. That happens sometimes for some reason. Now I can paint across, and there's my rotten wood. And then I can just paint down, paint some happy little rot down here. Hi, I'm Bob Ross. This is Bob Ross does substance painter shit. Just, just put some happy little rot over here with its friends. No, it's just hanging out here with the trees, having a good time, thinking about toilets, smoking weed. Uh, anyway, um. I wonder if Bob Ross were alive today, if he would openly smoke weed. Yes, he'd be so huge on YouTube. I mean, his Twitch streams do really well from what I've heard. Okay, so that's the rotten wood on one part. And then I'm going to just sort of eyeball it by lining up the pier into the right place and go across and it's okay if it doesn't line up correctly because the real world has all sorts of weird variations anyway there's no mistakes there's just happy little accidents one of Evan's questions in the discord I think was uh, what songs have you been listening to on repeat lately it's weird like listening to music while I do game dev stuff I rarely ever listen to music while I'm writing code initially. I really do best with not silence, but definitely not people talking. Um, I have a hard time screening out the human voice. Um, but when I'm debugging, that's when it helps to have music playing. I guess it's like, okay, neurons, you fucked up. We're going to divert you to something else. While other parts of the brain figure out what went wrong. Um, 
But when I'm doing environment art, I almost always have music playing uh, or any other kind of 3D art for that matter. The easiest way for me to answer that question is for me to bring up my mix on YouTube and just sort of rattle off song names because it's like there's usually like a couple of different artists that I circulate around and check out their stuff. And this is, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, at the top of the list is Eat the Rich by Aerosmith, which rocks. Let's see. Sunseekers by Cokeweed. Cokeweed is um, a local main band. I think they are actually based in Portland. Um, just bring up the page for a second. Yeah, there's a Paste Magazine article that I'm going to link in the description. Uh, nine main bands you should listen to now. Um, but yeah, Cokeweed is based in Bar Harbor, which is uh, a ways up the coast from Peaks Island. Uh, and yeah, like the article says, it's for fans of Courtney Bennett and the War on Drugs. So take that how you like. And then there's Shooting Stars by Bag Raiders, you know, the internet meme song where, like, somebody's in the middle of a jump or some sort of thing, and, like, it switches back and forth between the frames, and it goes, Crystal Ball by Styx. I've still been listening to a lot of Styx lately, like, them and Modest Mouse, probably my two favorite bands these days. Power Trip by Monster Magnet. I think I got there in the algorithm via Lit Up by Buckcherry, which I heard on the radio and wanted to come back to. Queen of Spades, also by Styx. Yeah! By Usher. Uh, Extreme, Ma- Extreme Meme Megamix 5. Uh, you know, Cyrenex series where he mashes together a bunch of songs that have been, like, popular because they were either on the top 40 or they were internet memes. Just Mega Mashup by Dayman, our savior. Uh, Night Moves by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Jukebox Hero by Foreigner. Don't Answer Me by the Alan Parsons Project. Uh, again, more sticks. Lady. Uh, Games People Play by the Alan Parsons Project. Daft Punk, Get Lucky. Uh, it's, it's a mix of, like, admittedly dad rock and memes and... A little bit of more dad rock and slightly less dad rock, I guess, sort of older brother rock. Oh, more beeps on Facebook Messenger. Okay. Um, now that that's answered, let me get back to painting on the rot. But maybe there's a question I can answer while I'm painting. Uh, oh, yeah. Will there be an Arjuna in Podass 003, which, if you don't know, is Season 3 of Podcasters Assemble, where we're getting ready to watch the new Bond movie, No Time to Die, by going through all the other uh, Daniel Craig movies. Yeah, I'm going to participate on it. I think the deadline for the first episode is coming up pretty soon, so maybe I won't be able to contribute to it. The one where you talk about, like, sort of your overall general experience with the Bond movies, I think it is. Or maybe I'll pull a Troy later and record my submission for it as part of this, as part of a separate thing like he did at the beginning of Podass Season 2, our Star Wars thingamajig. Uh, I will admit, I haven't been as into the Bond films as I have things like Star Wars. Um, I think I might have enough to say. 
But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to participate in as many episodes of this as I can. Especially since I haven't seen any of the Daniel Craig movies. Um, I've seen Goldeneye, and I've seen, like, parts of the older, like, the Sean Connery films. And then, you know, there's, like, some internet reviews out there where they, like, show pretty decent amount of clips from it and stuff. So, like, I've almost seen A View to a Kill, for example. You know, that's definitely not one of... I know Roger Moore is not exactly one of the most liked Bonds. Uh, well, that, that one movie did, didn't seem so bad. Doesn't it have Christopher Walken in it? I mean, it can't be that bad, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Substance Painter was auto-saving just then. But I think that is all for the rod. Okay, so now I have to go back to the Unity Editor and figure out where the salt ends. I see where the salt ends, and then I gotta figure out a spot on the wood on the new piece that corresponds to the end of the salt area that I'm comparing it against. Uh, okay. So, yeah. This is a pretty distinct pattern. And it's kind of hard to... There we go. I just needed to finagle the light a little bit. And... It's pretty clear. Oh, jeez, it really isn't. You have the salt transitioning into this sort of light, uh, almost cream-colored area on the wood. It is not super easy to tell the difference, but I think I'm just going to point the camera right here, and I think I can figure out where the salt is. Okay, that's better. Now... Switch back into Substance Painter. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that's a very distinct pattern in the wood. Um, why don't I screenshot that, actually, so maybe folks will have a better idea. Uh, what do I call that? Oh, I saw a tweet once where somebody said, People who scream when you sneeze. Who hurt you? Irony of ironies, I'm working on a cat game, and I'm allergic to cats. And whoever used to own this house had plenty of cats, I've discovered. No matter how much I vacuum, I still get a little sneezy sometimes. Uh, okay, let me just zoom in on this. I'll tab back to Unity. Okay, so, yeah, the wood, the salt ends right around there. And, yeah, there we go. So, I just create a new layer, and the default white stuff that it has there seems to work pretty good for me. I might come back to this and make it a little less uniform, or try to, you know, figure out how to make it look a little more like salt. But really what we're trying to do is get it, like, 80% of the way to what we're uh, looking for, at least, and then once we get to creating the final version of Peace Island, we'll get that extra 20%, or maybe 10%, you know, depending on how it all works out. Okay, so put the salt stuff right here, and then just like with the rot, I can paint down 
from that salt area to the rock, although I do prefer to turn down the opacity on this a little bit, just because I want my wood grain to still show through the salt. Cool. Okay, and I'll start painting down some more. Can I take a Discord question? Uh, there's a question from Bill here, but I think I'm going to come back to that after I'm done with this painting. Hey folks, Editor Arjuna here, and with me for this segment is the Robo Gonzalez 9001. Hey everyone, Bill asks, what is a bedazzle? Well, Google has the definition, uh, to greatly impress someone. What? No, that's not bedazzle. That's when something looks really ragged and, uh, disheveled and raw. No, you're thinking bedraggled. Bedazzle is a slang from 90s rap, which is a contraction of for sure. Nah, that's for shizzle. Bedazzle is the really fatty parts that are kind of weird to chew in uh, steak and pork and beef. Nah, you're thinking gristle. Bedazzle is that candy-coated popcorn stuff that's kind of like Cracker Jacks. Nah, that's fiddle-faddle. Look, Arjuna, I'd love to continue this Twitter thread, but I need to bring up what brought me into the room to begin with, which is, can... I have the computer when you're done editing this podcast. I want to play some more Neo Feud. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I need to wean myself off Oblivion anyway. Go right ahead. Back to the show. Matt from Party Roll asks, My question, can you wax poetic about Peace Island for a little bit? I kind of did that earlier in the podcast, but I, I can do some more. Um, yeah, it's it's been really fun working on this so far. Um... I have coworkers who have worked on some like really cool games in the past before. It's good to learn from their experiences and such. It's I haven't played a whole lot of open world games other than well, you know, GTA San Andreas, which I reviewed for Y for YDWMY reviews. But it's been cool like checking out that other direction that uh, you know, immersive sim type games can go in. I think there's a lot of common ground between those two, um, especially been, like I've been playing an awful lot of Elder Scrolls Oblivion and a little bit of Skyrim lately. Those two games are certainly uh, influences in a lot of our discussions on Peace Island. Um, one thing that we uh, make a lot of effort to point out on Peace Island is it's not going to be violent like those other open world games are. A big part of the selling point of this game, I think, is going to be that you can boot it up and go off into this little world of, like, a cool, nice, peaceful island off the coast of Maine. It's very relaxing. You can literally, we've, you know, done screenshots of this and stuff, like, just hang out on a picnic bench and watch the sunset as you're going around your little adventures Figuring out why the humans disappeared, and if you want to bring them back. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. And then, of course, there's, like, all sorts of cool, weird science fiction stuff uh, thrown into this. Like, there's um, a strange invasive mushroom species. A strange invasive glowing mushroom species that's shown up on the island. And... I believe we've got a mission about about how those mushrooms propagate and various things that you do with them. Uh, 
Of course, you know, there's other wildlife on Peace Island other than the cats. And you're going to have some adventures involving them. There's some abandoned buildings, too, like the La Flamme Fish Works, which has its whole other which has its whole story behind that that Eric talked about in a Patreon update which I will link in the description speaking of which I think the La Flamme Fish Works is coming up on my list of places to retexture because again that was like just a quick selection from you know what Eric could get off the Unity Asset Store I think it's like supposed to be textures for an old pub and they're really kind of low res and blurry and i'm gonna get into this when i talk about the stuff i've been doing with main video game devs one thing about main is it does not have a shortage of old closed down ab abandoned factories always look on the bright side of life i've got plenty of places to go for reference because <laughs> yeah old abandoned factories do have a very specific look that Definitely not the same as old dive bars, which is what I think the original asset was made for. I'm coming down to the last leg of the pier, and I think that's it. Sweet. Okay. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to export these new textures. I'm going to delete the old textures in the old export folder. And then I'm going to re-export them from the Substance Painter project file into that folder and then re-import them in Unity. And because I've already got the materials set up and the linkages between like specific texture file names and uh, the materials, it'll automatically update. And then that is the last pure piece that I need to retexture. Uh, the next thing I'll have to do with the pier is just assemble it in the same layout that Eric had. Maybe change its position, play around with the scaling a little bit. And then talk with one of our programmers, Mike Bonafide, about how I can um, get it set up into our sectorization system so that uh, the mesh and the materials will take as little draw calls in unity and will only and and the dock will only load up uh when the player character is in like this specific chunk of the world that you can walk into again if you've played oblivion you'll know you know how sometimes when you're walking around cyrodiil you'll walk into a place and the little message will pop up loading area dot 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 we have something kind of like that going on under the hood and so every 3D model that we make for this game, we have to integrate into that system. Um, so yeah, let me just delete the old textures out. That's pure five upper delete. Now I can export it. Boom. And then I'm going to have to do the same thing with unity in a little bit. Switch back to the pure five upper. Man, this eats up a lot of CPU. But, hey, I'm lucky and grateful for the fact that I've got a computer that can do a pretty good job handling, like, Substance Painter stuff and Unity Editor stuff at the same time. Uh, I'm going to pause it until it's done exporting. Okay. Yeah. 
Let's just delete these old textures. <sighs> Hello, welcome to the DevCast. I am your host, Sleep Juna Yonzales. And select these, but unselect the height maps. And yeah, boom, the new texture shows up just like that. Um, it's still at a 2K resolution, so I need to, to let it know we're dealing with a 4K texture. Just click apply, change the drop down. Oh yeah, another song I have on repeat while I'm doing this, I don't think I included it in the list, is uh, Let's Get Down by Tony Tony Tone, which is a classic 90s R&B with some rap track, kind of like This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. Excellent. Uh... This does not make for the most entertaining podcast content. Waiting for Unity to catch up with what I just did. Okay, are you done? You're done. Cool. Alright, now I gotta let it know about the normal maps. So that is going to finish up that component. And I'm just backing up and looking at it in the editor. And yeah, I think we're done, listeners. Obviously, there's a little more work to do with this dock, just, like, putting all of the pieces together, uh, according to the layout that Eric created, but the really, really time-consuming part of all of this, which was creating a new texture that's up to the standards of the visual bar that we're trying to hit with this game, that part is good enough for the beta. And we will continue to iterate on it, and we will make this work. Probably. Yeah, so I think I'm going to save that for now, and then I'm going to close out the Unity Editor and submit this new texture to our source control, which is going to take a while because I have a very slow internet connection. But in the meantime, we can keep talking. Uh, I can go over a couple more things for this episode that I meant to cover. Let me just set this thing up. We use Perforce, by the way, for here on Peace Island, we don't use Git. All source control solutions really have their pros and cons. There really isn't a good, like, simple and intuitive source control solution out there that, you know, creates an easy way to keep track of the different versions of your software project as you edit it and add things to it. But Perforce mostly kind of sort of works. <laughs> add last doc texture. Okay, uh, while that's uploading, let's talk a little bit about the main video game devs meetup, um, which I am a co-organizer for now. Um, I think I talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but I kind of want to talk about some of the challenges and lessons learned from running this meetup, um, because I think there are probably other people in game dev who run into similar things, and it's important to compare notes. So Maine, for the non-US people listening to this, is the northeasternmost state in the continental U.S. Uh, only borders one other state. It's the same area as it's the same size area as the country of Portugal, but only about a tenth of the population. Economically, it's one of like many other U.S. states that didn't really have a plan to transition out of an industrial economy when a lot of American manufacturing capacity either got moved to non-union states or offshored entirely. 
And so, whereas from like the beginning of the 20th century up until the 50s, a lot of the state's economy was based on manufacturing, since the 60s and 70s, there's this very real socioeconomic divide that's formed roughly along the route of Interstate 95, where the southern coastal part of the state is like service industries and what tech that there is in the state. And it tends to be a little bit richer, more suburban, although still fairly rural. And then on the northern side of I-95, it's much more rural, and the economy is based more around natural resources, like timber, gravel pits, uh, blueberry and potato crops. There is some tech community that tends to be concentrated in Portland, which is in the southern area of the state. And in fact, a lot of things, uh, whether we're talking about like activist groups or meetups or what have you, they tend to get concentrated in Portland simply because that's where a large percentage of the state's population is. But that creates this very short-sighted view where like anything in, not anything, but a lot of things in arts or culture or technology just get concentrated in Portland when the state is a lot more spread out than that. Um, there's Bangor, which is about three hours up I-95 from Portland. Um, it has the state's flagship public university campus in Orono. It's, I think the Bangor area is like the third largest metro area in the state after Lewis and Auburn and Portland. And so like there are these population centers outside of Portland, but they tend not to set up groups of their own just because so much organizing work just gets sucked south. And there's also like a larger brain drain problem uh, within the state as a whole because we're right next to Massachusetts. So a lot of tech talent that, you know, moves here, or gets, not moves here, a lot of tech talent that grows up here or gets educated here will move down I-95 to Boston for higher paying jobs. When it comes to main video game devs, what we've seen is that there are more people doing game development here than you might think. There's Eric Blumrich with Peace Island LLC. We have Chuck Carter, who worked on a game from the 90s that you might have heard of called Mist. He has his own studio in Ellsworth, which is near the Bangor area. We have Adam DeGrandis, who's done artwork for a lot of different uh, Boston-based studios, but he lives in Portland, and I believe he's a teacher at the Maine College of Art. Um, you have me. I'm kind of a big deal. You're listening to this podcast after all, right? Um, but because, well, for whatever reason, a lot of these different groups are just spread out across the state, and they tend to stick to their own cliques. So what we do with our meetup is we try to have one meetup in the Portland area and one meetup in the same month that's outside of the Portland area, just so we can save some people drives and like make a point to reach across the divide along I-95 that I talked about. Uh, and so that makes it possible also for us to reach out to other groups in some of these population centers who you know, don't like the idea of having to carpool and drive like two or three hours down to Portland for a meetup. For example, we've held meetings jointly with other meetups that do game development adjacent things. 
We held a meetup, for example, with the Sanford area Blender users group. Sanford is about like an hour southwest of Portland. We held a joint meeting with the Central Maine Programmers Group, where we had Chuck Carter in as a guest speaker. We had a meeting in Bangor that wasn't really held jointly with a local hacker group, but they were nice enough to give us a share on Facebook, and I'm sure we drew in some people because of that publicity. I'm going to make a point to reach out to the Portland Functional Programming Group. Functional Programming is like a, a specialized approach to programming. Um, because there are game development frameworks and libraries that you can use in functional programming languages. And I think we could have a really interesting uh, session where we talk about that and we can, you know, combine the networks of the main video game developers group and the Portland functional programmers. As for the content of our meetings, um, before I became the co-organizer, a lot of our meetings would go along the lines of people showing off the work that they had done recently and some discussion about like a group-wide organized project. There were some uh, members, for example, who were looking to uh, start up their own studio and sort of use the group that would coalesce around the meetup as a launching pad for it. We still, we haven't had a lot of discussions about group projects right now. I think we might sort of restructure that into holding periodic game jams um and if people want to take that and turn it into a whole thing after the jam that's their own business um and we still do have an open segment every meeting where members or people who stop by can show off the game development work that they've been working on um but i did steal an idea from the boston unity group of having a guest speaker come in and give a talk on a game development topic just, you know, to honor the fact that there are people with some really cool and interesting expertise working on really cool and interesting stuff who we want to give like a half hour plus to talk about and answer questions about it. And so what I'm trying to do with this group is create a place for people to show off the work that they've been doing, to network with each other, and have the kind of discussions where they can, you know, collaborate or recruit each other to the different projects whether they're commercial or not. And a lot of the work that we've been doing over this past couple of months is figuring out, like, who are our natural friends and companions in this? Like, I mentioned related meetup groups, but, like, where we hold the meeting is also important. And the public library system has been an absolute godsend in this regard. It's, you know, a cheap way to arrange a meeting room that, you know, is well-lit, heated, uh, has a large screen usually and a Wi-Fi connection that you can hook up to. And that's really all you need for this kind of meetup. And, you know, there every like decently sized town in Maine has a public library with it that has that kind of meeting room that you can book for really cheap, like five, 15 bucks. I guess I can also talk about the structure of the meetup. So we have a Discord server as well as like standard social media outlets like Twitter and Facebook. Um, maybe we should have an Instagram account someday. I don't know, I need to think about that. One thing that I've learned from like just sort of general management and organizing is it's always good, I would even go as far as to say vital, to have some kind of open forum in which the members of your group can chime in and discuss how we do things here. 
Now, what the leadership of your group looks like and what they do with that feedback is a whole other issue, but you can't pretend to be a collaborative organization without that kind of forum. And I like collaborative organizations, um, especially in a creative field like game development, because everything is collaboration. We kind of have this sort of thing in the probably work network. You know, we've got like three different discord servers in varying degrees of openness where you guys can come and give us your feedback about what you think about the podcast. And, you know, we have as the, you know, podcast hosts and stuff, we have our own internal discussions and we have a, you know, perfectly good open forum in which to discuss how we do what we do. And so in our discord server, there is a channel that is literally called how we do things here. And that channel is open to anybody to provide feedback about events that we've had, provide suggestions for future events and programming and such. Um, and I think that is just as important as any other channel in our Discord, including like the Game Dev Discussion channel, where folks can also show off things they've been working on, as well as in the meetings. Uh, as far as a management structure, Another thing that's important to do when running a meetup or any sort of like small scale collaborative group like this is to have a bus factor higher than one. Bus factor is a term I learned in a software engineering class a while ago. And it was, it went something like if how many people need to be on a bus that goes over a cliff and kills everybody on board before your project is in serious trouble because you've lost some important, you know, expertise or whatever. A bus factor of one, the lower the bus factor, the worse trouble you're in. So if I get hit by a car or I'm in some sort of other fatal accident, um, how much trouble is main video game devs in? So what I did was I made a rule for myself. And, you know, I've been in groups where they've had all sorts of nice rhetoric about being a collaborative organization and pushing resilience and, you know, the ability to bounce back from things. And then one person left and the people who were left had absolutely no idea how to run anything because that person knew so much stuff about how to run the group and they didn't properly share a lot of different things. Um, so I made a rule for myself very early on when I took over as co-organizer that the first person who attends three meetings in a row, I'm going to approach them and try to recruit them as a co-organizer of the group. And when that happens, I'm going to bring them into the organizing process in sort of in a more detailed way than I do with the other members. And very importantly, I'm going to give them the login credentials to our official main video game dev accounts. So again, if I'm in a fatal accident, they can log into the Twitter, they can log into the Facebook, they can, uh, you know, post updates. And fortunately, those official accounts are not attached to me in any particular way. So it's not like I renamed at Super Arjuna, but to at main video game devs. So if I leave the group for whatever reason, I'm not like suddenly stealing all of that social capital that main video game devs has, has accumulated and using it for myself. Stealing is maybe a stronger word. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't know, I'm not grabbing all of that social capital. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, if you run a meetup group, that's an important thing to keep in mind. I guess coming back a few topics ago, yeah, so for the future of main video game devs, it's going to be more of a process of figuring out who our natural friends and allies are. Um, I think we're going to reach out to the main arts commission 
which is a state agency that does a lot of work with various arts and culture nonprofits all over the state, just to see, like, you know, what is the network of different groups here? How can we get in on your conversations? How can we contribute and collaborate with a lot of these groups? Because let's face it, depending on which date and which particular title you pick, well, okay, let's say Pong came out in 1971-72. It's almost 50 years old. We have every bit of a right uh, to have a seat at the table in arts discussions as cinema or sculpture or painting. Another thing we're going to look into, I think, is the International Game Developers Association. Uh, they have a chapter system such that I think there's like an IGDA chapter in a lot of U.S. states. I know there's one in New Hampshire next door. So we're going to reach out to the IGDA New Hampshire chapter, which we already have some contacts with, and I think look into turning the main video game devs meetup into IGDA Maine. Now, they've got their whole particular process around that, which might not turn out to be the best path for us to go down, but we're going to look into it, especially since I know there's a lot of kind of shared marketing and publicity opportunities that go with that. All right, my throat is sore from talking so much. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I think I've covered just about everything that I wanted to talk about and cover in this episode. So sorry, folks. I know you might have been looking forward to a Popeye's chicken sandwich or a Wahlburgers thing, but hey, you got a dev cast from the Peace Island development team. Uh, talk to you guys later. And until next time, watch for docs. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. <laughs>